Well, we are continuing our series through 1 John in a series entitled The Reality of God. John is writing this epistle to young Christians uh, in Asia Minor, Christians that are being persecuted for their faith, Christians that are being questioned for the faith that they have, Christians that are beginning to wonder, is this God real? Uh, is the faith that I have in Jesus Christ uh, something that is objective and is, is true? And so John, same John that writes the Gospel of John, the same John that writes the Revelation of St. John, he's the same John that writes this epistle to these young Christians. And he addresses the first recipients of this letter as little children, as a father is writing to his little children out of care and concern for what they believe and the faith that they're holding on to. John writes this letter, and he tells us ultimately why he writes this letter in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things so that you might know that you have eternal life. That you might know that you have eternal life. Week 1, a few weeks ago, John introduces this letter and talks about the certainty of our faith that this, the, this faith that we have rests upon this man by the name of Jesus Christ. And this Jesus Christ is true. And we've, we, we proclaim him to you as one who has been heard, the, the Jesus that we have talked to and heard and walked with and, and, and broke bread with. He is objective and he's true. And so what John wants us to understand right off the bat is that the faith that we have in Jesus Christ is objective and it's true, and therefore it is a certain faith. Uh, week two, last week, said this Jesus that we proclaim to you is in fact that. It's a, it's a message. It's a message that we proclaim. And this is the message. This is the Christian message that God is light, but that we're sinful. And that we just don't sin, but that we have a sin nature. But that God in his grace has provided an advocate, a legal representative, and his name is Jesus Christ, who through his righteousness and atoning death offers us complete forgiveness and access to the throne of grace before God the Father. This week, as we continue our study in 1 John, we're looking at chapter 2, verse 3 through 11. And, and in verse 3... John makes quite a statement. In verse 3, he says, And by this we know that we come to know him. We know that we come to know him. What John is basically saying here this morning is that we know that we know. That we have the ability as Christians to know that we know. That we don't have to want to go through life hoping that what we know is certain and sure, but that we know that we know that our faith is certain and it is sure. So turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 through 11. Hear the word of God. And by this we know that we have come to know him. And if we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, but the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, 
I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. So how do you know that you know? How do you know if something is true? Well, what do you do? You put it to the test. If somebody says, I'm good at math, you give them an SAT, right? Give them the math portion of the SAT to see if they truly are good at math. You test, reveal that which is true. During the end of the, towards the end of the World War II, during the Battle of the Bulge, Germany was getting desperate. And what Germany would do is they would take dead American soldiers, they would strip them of their uniform, they would dress up as the American soldier in order to infiltrate the American lines. And so it caused a lot of confusion. And so what the Americans had to do is they had to put certain people to the test. And the way they would test to see if this was truly an American soldier is they would ask him a series of questions. And regularly, they would ask them questions about baseball. Because after all, what's more American than baseball? And there's a story about one lieutenant who was actually held at gunpoint for five hours because he was asked this question, what league did the Chicago Cubs play in? And he answered, the American League, you communist. Because everybody understands and knows that the Chicago Cubs play in the National League. How do you know? How do you know that you know that there is a God? Is there a test for that? What John wants us to understand this morning, that there's even a test for knowing that there is a God and to know that you know for certain. John says here in the passage that we read that you can know and that you must know and that there is not anything more important than having the knowledge and the certainty that you know God and that God knows you. Here the word knowledge, the word to know, the idea of knowing in First John is not just a intellectual knowledge that I know a lot of things about God, but the knowledge that First John speaks of here in this passage is a knowledge that speaks to the intimacy that is shared between God and those that know Him, that those that are called children of God, those that consider themselves sons and daughters of God, there is a intimacy, there is a personal nature to this knowledge that God, that John says you can know God for certain. See, what John wants us to understand that it's not just possible to have a personal relationship with him, you can actually know that you know and have a deep confidence in this knowledge of God. 
You see, one of the things that we read all throughout the New Testament are people that are assured of their salvation. When Jesus Christ himself talks to his disciples, he says, what? I will never leave you nor forsake you. How do we know that we know that? Paul in Romans chapter 8, what does he say? He says, I am persuaded... And then he lists a litany of things that he, he personally has faced himself. And he says, in light of all these things, I am persuaded that I can't be separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That word persuaded in Romans chapter 8 actually means conviction. I am convicted. Think about that. I am convicted that in light of everything that has happened to me in my life, I am a man that is convicted that nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What was it? What was it that persuaded Paul? What was it that convicted him? John says you can have this conviction. John says you can live under this persuasion that you belong to God. How do you know that you know? John wants us to answer two questions this morning. To ask the question, do I know that I know? that God belongs to me and I belong to God. The first thing that we see here in chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 in particular, is John says that it is through our love for God. He says, do you love God? In verses 3 through 6, he asks us, he goes through a series of things to answer the question, do we have a love for God? Because it is our love for God that answers the first question, do we know that we know? See, in verse 3, he says, by this we know that we have come to know him. If what? If we keep his commandments. If we don't keep his commandments, we're a liar and the truth's not in us. But if we keep his word, it says, in him, the love of God is perfected. You see, what John wants us to understand is for somebody to know that they know there is a love for God that is, per- ma- that is made perfect and perfected. It's this ongoing action of sanctification that happens in the life of a Christian that communicates our love for God. And John wants us to understand it is through your life, by the way you move and live and talk and act, it is through your obedience to his word and to his commandments that demonstrates a love for God. It's this love of God being made perfect in your life. And so the first thing that John wants us to ask the question this morning, the way that you can know that you know for certain is by your life, does it demonstrate a life that loves God? Is there change? Is there transformation in your life? Paul himself says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. There's newness in the life through the one that Christ says, I make all things new. We constantly find ourselves impatient, callous towards the poor, failing to love others. If we were to take an honest inventory of our life, our are all the things that were true about my life before I was a Christian still relevant and still true in my life now that I am a Christian? There might be a problem. But instead, can we honestly ask ourselves this question? In my life, now that I have followed Christ and become a follower of Christ, can I ask the, answer this question? Is there joy where there wasn't joy? 
before? Is there security where there didn't used to be security? Is there freedom in the places where there used to be fear? Can we look honestly at our lives and see change and growth and transformation that ultimately in my life, if this love is being made perfect in my life, am I slowly getting to the place where I am beginning to love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates? John wants us to take an inventory of our life and our mind and our heart and our lives and say, is it a life that demonstrates love and affection towards God through how I am obedient to his commands and to his word? John says you can know that you know through your love for God. But not only does John wants us to take an inventory and say, is there a deep love and affection towards God by the way that you live and move and love him? But he also says this love should translate into a love for others. If this love is being made perfect, what should ultimately happen? So he says, basically, in verse, the love that is demonstrated in verse 3 through 6 for God should translate in a love for others in verses 7 through 11. He says, beloved, I'm, I'm writing no new commandment, but an old commandment. Verse 8, at the same time, it's a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What should happen? Whoever is in the light and hates his brothers in the darkness, but whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. You see, the test for a person to know that they know should not only be a life that demonstrates its love and affection towards God, but it should translate into a love and affection towards others. The same gospel that reconciles man to God is the same gospel that reconciles us to one another. What John is trying to say is you can't love God and hate God's children. It doesn't work that way. You can't love God and hate his family. It doesn't work that way. The same love that gripped your heart that makes you one with God is the same love that grips your heart, should grip your heart, and make you love the unlovable. Make you reconciled. The same gospel that reconciles us to God is the same gospel and the same love that reconciles us to one another. What John is trying to say is you can't keep a grudge and at the same time live in light of the gospel. It's impossible. Can't hold a grudge. You cannot be at war with people. You cannot be at enmity with people and live in light of the gospel. It's the whole idea of walking in the light is this idea that you are walking into a whole new realm of living where the gospel of the light of Jesus Christ informs everything, every decision, every relationship that you have. In fact, one could say that when we fail to love, when we fail to love our brother and our sister, In that moment of failing to love, we are forgetting the deep, deep love of the Father for us. Because if we truly believed we were loved, unconditionally loved by the Father, how could that ever prevent us from loving our brother or sister? It's the unconditional love of the Father which moves us and motivates us to love that which the world says is unlovable. So John wants us to understand, you can know that you know by asking yourself this simple question, does my life demonstrate a love for God and does my life demonstrate a love for others? 
because it is through my love and deep affection for God and it is through my love and deep affection for others that I am put to the test to know that I know that I belong to God and God belongs to me. You can be certain of that through our love for God and our love for others. But it begs this question, where in the world does this love come from? Is it just a matter of some are predisposed to this love and, and some just love God and love others better than others? Some are born with it and some aren't. And the Bible tells us to the contrary. In fact, the Bible tells us from the beginning to end that we actually hate God, doesn't it? Romans chapter 3, Paul holds nothing back. And he says, in fact, by nature, you're at war with God. You hate God. All throughout the Bible, it tells of people warring and fighting and in conflict. The whole story of the Bible is man at war with God and man at war with one another. So this love has to come from somewhere else. What produces this type of love? A type of love that we can walk out of here today knowing that we know that we know that we know. What is the type of love that is produced in our lives that we are able to then look at our lives and saying, we know that we know that we belong to God? The clues found in verses 7 and 8. John on the one hand in verse 7 says what? He says, I'm writing no new commandment. It's an old one. And he's right. All throughout the Old Testament, actually, the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself, where's that found? It's found in Leviticus. All throughout the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, the Shema, we're told to love God and love others. There's nothing new that John is sharing with us in particular, right? The idea of loving God and loving others is all throughout the Old Testament. So John is correct when he says, it's nothing new, guys. This is something you've had from old. It's an old commandment. But then in verse 8, he says, but it is a new commandment. In verse 8, one verse later, he says, at the same time, it is a new commandment. What? At the same time, it's an old commandment and a new commandment. Yes, in the, it's an old commandment all throughout the Old Testament. But it's also at the same time a new commandment. What makes it new? Jesus. Jesus makes this new. Why? Because there has never been and there will never be one that loves like this. So you see, it is Jesus and Jesus alone that loves in such a way with such a breath and such a depth. Who would ever imagine one leaving the glories and the riches of heaven and humbling himself to come down for sinners like you and me? Who could ever imagine one not only loving his brother and his sister, but loving, he says, his enemies? Who could ever imagine one saying, love those who persecute you and who have wronged you? Who could ever imagine one nailed to a cross? The most ironic statement from the cross and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You see, Jesus is what makes this commandment new. And it is Jesus' perfect love that fulfills this old commandment. And Jesus alone that enables you and me to love in such a way that we can walk out of here today knowing that we know, that we know, that we know for certain. Knowing that we know. Could there be anything more important than that? Adam, 
obeyed all of the commandments of God, or or God said, obey all the commandments and you will live. Jesus, obey all the commandments and you will be crushed. It is Jesus, the perfect Adam, the better Adam, the greater Adam, who comes in our place and lives obediently and perfectly in our place and through his life and through his righteousness and through his death and through his sacrifice, comes and fulfills the commandment to perfectly love on our behalf. And because the world has never seen a love like this, it is this love and this love alone that enables us and gives us power otherworldly power to love God and love others in such a way that we can have the certainty of salvation this morning. In fact, it's in 1 John, eventually chapter 4, that we'll get to that John says the reason we love, the reason we love God and love others is why? Because Jesus first loved us. A few months ago, a movie was released called 1517 to Paris. It's this heroic story of Americans on a train to Paris who stopped the efforts of a terrorist. It's a story that happened back in August 2015, and it came across an article that gives a quick summary of what happened on that 1517 train to Paris. The author of the article wrote, childhood friends, Spencer Stone, Alex Garlados, and Anthony Sadler were vacationing in France and taking the train into Paris, not far from the city. Scarlatos woke up to see a man holding a rifle. He yelled at Stone, let's go, let's go. Stone immediately jumped up, raced down the aisle, and smashed into the gunman. He held on to the shooter as the two engaged in a ferocious struggle bullets ricocheting as they danced in the walkway. The gunman slashed him, inflicting awful wounds on his neck and nearly severing his thumb. Stone absorbed the blows until Scarlatos knocked a Luger pistol out of the gunman's hand and picked up the rifle. Scarlatos, like Stone, a trained soldier, knocked the gunman out. But the heroism didn't stop there. Stone, bleeding profusely, made his way to a passenger struck by a bullet and plugged his wound with his hands. My thought was, said Stone, I'm going to die anyway, so let's go. Once you start moving, you're not afraid anymore. The author of the article said, it was self-sacrifice that saved the day. It's an interesting article. What made that article even more interesting was the comment below. The comment below said, wow, it sounds like a Christian. Where did we ever get the idea that this is what a Christian does? Where did we ever get the idea that this is what a Christian would do? Because Jesus first did this for us. And the only question left this morning is, do you know him? Do you know that you know this Jesus that first loved you? You can know him right now. And inevitably, there are people in this room that will leave here this morning and go, kind of makes sense. I need a little time this week. That's okay. And inevitably, there's people in this room that say, hey, pastor, you made me wake up to something I never thought of before. 
you convinced me to read my Bible, and you've even convinced me to come back next week. And I guess that's okay as well. But if God is making Himself known to you right now, if God is making Himself known to you today, why would you ever wait? The promise and the assurance that you can know that you know is the greatest assurance you could ever have in your life. To know that God is calling you now to have the assurance now to know that you know now. God is revealing Himself to you through His Word, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, His life, His death, His sacrifice on your behalf. He loved you first so that you could respond in return and love Him. If you want to experience that assurance, that internal rest that you have always longed for, that never thought was possible, you can have that rest and assurance today to know that you know that there be anything more important.